As the wise men sought out the Christ child and worshipped him, so let us worship him by hearing the peace and salvation he has brought us. Amen. Our text for our sermon is 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 29 through 31. I also say this, brothers, the time is short. From now on, let those who have wives live as if they have none. Those who weep as if not weeping. Those who rejoice as if not rejoicing. Those who buy as if not possessing. And those who use the world as if not getting any use out of it. For the way of life that belongs to this world is passing away. This is the word of our Lord. Brothers and sisters in Christ. Jonah was called to Nineveh, the capital of the city that would later conquer Israel. He was called to tell them, at least at that time, repent or God's going to wipe you off the face of the earth. And they put on sackcloth and they repented. But their repentance appears to be a law-based repentance, a temporal repentance. The way I describe this is I, I remember when I was a child getting in, in, in more than one fight with my babysitter son or more than one argument. And she'd say, now tell him you're sorry. And I wasn't. No. I'd shake my head. I was a stubborn kid. No. Okay, well, you got two choices. You can tell him you're sorry or you can go stick your nose in the corner. Well, I'd go say I was sorry because I didn't want to stand in the corner with my nose in the corner for the next two hours. So that was really a repentance that was not sorry for. And now, now as an adult, I am sorry for some of the things that, uh, that I did there. But uh, it was more a, a sorrow that was afraid of the punishment. So it was a law-based sorrow for the Ninevites. Repent or God's going to destroy your city. Jesus sends the disciples out, calls them to be fishers of men, and they show people their sin, that they've been saved from hell. So our repentance is not, I don't want to go to hell, because when you trust in Jesus, you're not going to hell. Our repentance is more, it, it, it really does begin with knowing that our sins have already been forgiven. And so now trusting in Jesus, we don't want to sin against our God. We still are going to until the time that Christ returns or we're called to heaven. So our repentance begins with trusting in Jesus and living a life then that glorifies God. And so today we see that you have been called. God called the apostles to proclaim a message. He called Jonah to proclaim a message. He's called you to proclaim a message. But you don't have to have to be a pastor and stand in front of, in front of the congregation and preach the message. He does this through your everyday life. So today we see you're called to shine forth that the Lord is coming because he says there at the end of our text, keeping in mind that the form of this world are passing away. The external trappings. So many of the things we can think of and get so worried about, they're going to be gone. So we live knowing that Christ is going to return. And the apostle begins this text by saying, so what I'm conveying is this, O brothers, the time is having been shortened. What's he mean? If we put ourselves in the feet of Old Testament believers, think of how long it was from the time he promised Adam and Eve that a Savior would come until the time that Savior actually came. Think of the thousand year wait from the time he told David, King David, your descendant will be the Savior until the time he appeared to that descendant of David, Mary, and says, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you and you'll give birth of the Savior. And so, brothers and sisters in Christ, the time has been shortened because Christ has come. He has lived his life for us. He paid the price for our sins and washed them away, and he has risen. 
Now we live in the time in which we wait for his return and we are assured it's not going to be as long as that period between the promised Adam and Eve and the birth of our Savior. It's been shortened. But before this, the Apostle Paul has addressed a few concerns the people of the congregation of Corinth had. We covered some of that last week with some of the sexual sins and things like that that were going on in that congregation. But he had been specifically asked, as the good news of salvation went out, you had Gentiles. People who were not Jewish, no, no background at all in the Bible, who were converting, but sometimes their spouses wouldn't. And they asked, should we divorce our spouses? And his answer was, no, not unless they are dragging your faith down to the pits of hell. And so he says, what I'm saying is the time is having been shortened and henceforth, those having a wife must be as those who do not have one. And again, our closing words, for the form of this world is passing away. What is he saying here? Should I neglect my wife and my children? No, that's not the point. He's already spelled out that marriage is a wonderful institution God has given. And in fact, we've got to remember the primary reason for for marriage. Given before Adam and Eve even fell into sin. It's meant to be a mini model of Christ, the groom, and his bride, the church. You and I. Now, the husband and the father of the household is not going to represent Christ perfectly because he's not sinless as Christ was. But marriage is that mini model. But, you know, there are ways that while we want to keep that mini model, husbands and wives and and Christian couples that are married and do that, they're called to glorify God in that. But there are ways in which we want to live our marriages as if we're not married. And what do we mean by that? We, if, if you are married to an unbeliever and that unbeliever is constantly dragging your faith down, not just neutral to the whole thing, but working against you. As a pastor, I, I, I have served, I know I've served people whose spouse was so hated the Lord so much that they had to meet with me in secret, in private, to receive a sermon in the Lord's Supper. This is somebody that if, that if it's going to weigh down your faith, Don't let them cost you eternal life because we don't know if Christ is coming tomorrow or not. In fact, we should live each day as if it's the last, but in good stewardship prepared in case it's tomorrow. Another way that this can happen. A young man is is a Lutheran and a young lady, she's she's a Baptist and and they're Christians. They both are and they're both going to heaven, but they fall into sin and, and have intercourse outside of marriage and find out she's pregnant. And then they have a battle uh, afterwards over the child. You know, they get married, they do the right thing, and, and, the, and she doesn't believe in having infant baptism because their work righteousness of decision theology. And, and, and he, doesn't, he believes that child needs to be baptized because God's word is clear that children need to be baptized as well. And, they get in, and, and, and he's not seeing her way and she's not hearing his way. And finally she says, if you love me, then you will convert to my church. Well, if he's convinced the word of God says what it says, then what she's saying is love me more than God, than the word of God. So sometimes even Christians in marriage can do this. So we want to live our marriages. We want to remember even in our marriage, we want to represent Christ in his church. That's already there in its context. But we also don't want to let our marriages get in the way of our eternal salvation. And even with our children, we want to to raise them up being prepared Plan for today to be the last day of the Lord, but also plan just in case for tomorrow instead. So we see that you are called to shine forth that the Lord is coming. And what that means for marriages is that they are to be a mini model of Christ's love in its church uh, and trusting in forgiveness. 
but not letting the marriage have first place in the heart. God gets that. Now, unmarried couples already don't have to worry about the things because in marriage, especially when you have kids, we all start worrying about how to provide, you know, how to pay the bills, put a roof over their heads. And in our marriages, we don't want to let that concern, that extra responsibility, get, make, make us live as if there is no God who's providing and blessing us. So we see that you're called to shine forth with the Lord is coming, and that means in our marriage, God gets first place, but our marriage does represent God's love for us. Next, he says, and those who are weeping must be as those who are not weeping, and those who are rejoicing must be as those who are not rejoicing. And let me remind you the last verse, for the form of this world is passing away. What does he mean? Well, as Christians, we mourn over our sins, don't we? But we don't want to mourn over our sins as if they have not already been forgiven, or as if there is no forgiveness. And people can get hung up on the ways of this world. They can mourn over things in this world as if there's no God who is working all things out for their eternal well-being and making them serve their, their good. And it's sad to say, in my previous call, before you called me to be pastor at your church, I did a lot of funerals. That's not sad to say. But I remember a few of those where, where, where the children mourned. Not, not just mourned because mom and dad were great and I miss them, but mourned as if mom and dad were not in heaven. It, it's, we should miss our loved ones, but we should not miss them as if there's not going to be a big family reunion. And I remember being frustrated at times, hearing things said after the funeral, hearing things a year at the anniversary and the way things were treated as if there was no God doing pagan things. Yes, brothers and sisters in Christ, it's okay to mourn. But don't mourn as if there's no hope, as if there's no God that loves you and is ruling over creation for you and rejoicing. Oh, we have reasons to rejoice, brothers and sisters in Christ. We are free in Christ. We are washed free. We are clean. We are going to heaven. We know even the things that are miserable in this life. God is using them for our, for our good, for our eternal well-being. And lots of times we can rejoice because we can even see temporal benefits of, of how he ruled through even some of the hardships in our life for our good even now in this life. But there are ways we can rejoice as if there is no God. People can rejoice in the things of this world. If the thing that makes us the happiest is, is for example, having the, the, the most worldly beautiful spouse or a handsome spouse, maybe we're rejoicing in the wrong things. If we're rejoicing because we've got the newest and bestest four-wheel drive truck with the heated seats and, and all that stuff, you know, those are things we can enjoy but if that's the source of our rejoicing, we're rejoicing in the wrong thing. Or if we rejoice because our sins are forgiven and then we use that as an excuse to embrace a sin, that's the wrong kind of rejoicing as well. So as Christians, we don't want to live our lives as if we're moping as if there's no God, and nor do we ex are we expected to live our life rejoicing as if we're on a drug-induced high and nothing matters. We walk that narrow road where we show the joy of being saved, of being God's children, and we do, we are, we do mourn. We, for example, when we do lose someone who we love dearly, we recognize they're in heaven and we can rejoice they're in heaven and we can also be sad that we miss their absence until that time. So what it means for our emotional life is... We're happy that there is a God and, and we're sad over the things of this world, but we never go to the extreme as if denying God. And God actually, with the Holy Spirit in your heart, simply builds this into your heart. You often don't realize the witness you're giving to the world as you go through life because you know that God is working for you and that you are saved. 
So then he says, and those who are buying must be as those who do not possess, and those who are putting the world to use must be as those who are not overly dependent on it, and once again, for the form of this world are passing away. You kind of get that picture of a businessman there, you know, out there collecting up stuff, looking for the best deal, storing it up so that he can sell it at a profit. But don't we do this also just in our own lives? We buy things. There are things we need, and sometimes they can wait a little while and we wait for the better deal. But as we buy things, we want to be careful. We don't want to let our possessions have a place in our heart equal to God. And that's the rich young ruler who came to Jesus and says, Lord, what more must I do to be saved? And, and Jesus says, well, you know the commandments. Guys, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, do this and you'll be saved. And, and, and then he says, but there's one more thing. You got to sell all your possessions and give it away to the poor. Now, that wasn't for everybody. That was for that man. Because that man did not realize that his worldly possessions were his God. He loved them more than God. And when he heard that, he walked away sad, knowing he was going to hell because he was not going to be willing to pry his fingers loose from his false God. God gives us material possessions to use. And I think the best commentary on this is actually given Luther's commentary on 1 Peter. He says, when you stay at an inn, you say, my bed, my room, my table. But you know, it's only yours to use temporarily. God gives us all things and he gives us to use. He gives us to be stewards over. But we always want to use them, not letting them have first place in our heart. We don't work to have the home. We recognize that we're working and God blesses us with the home to protect our bodies. But that's all temporal. When Christ returns, we're not going to need that stuff. Just as marriage will be abolished then as well. So we don't, we don't hang up on those things. We recognize God has given them to us for, for us to use in accordance with what he's given to us. This is why we give offerings. It's simply out of thanks. There's no set amount or anything else like that. And again, and those putting the world to use must use it as those who are not overly dependent on it is how I would translate what the Apostle Paul is saying. Yes, you need things in this world. You need shelter over your head. You need clothes on your back. But don't treat it as if those are the reason you exist. God created you to love you and redeem you. And we use those recognizing in good stewardship that God has given them to us. And when we do, when we give them the right place in our heart as temporal things to get us by, that God is the one that we love the most, it shows itself even in the way we may have nice vehicles. Maybe our jobs allow us to have a nice Cadillac. But we can have a different view of that than other people who think that is the whole reason to exist. And so, brothers and sisters in Christ, you, God does call you to be fishers of men, and we do when he gives us opportunities. We share with our neighbor the good news of forgiveness, but we often don't realize how we're called simply to shine forth that the Lord is coming. We see what that means for our marriages. There are many model of Christ in his church, and we let God have first place in our heart, even over our spouse. We see what it means for our emotional life, that we recognize we don't need to mourn as if there's no hope, and we don't need to rejoice over our sins. Instead, we can rejoice that our sins are forgiven, and we can mourn over our sins knowing they're forgiven. Given. We let our emotions be ruled by the fact that God is ruling all creation for us. And what it means for our use of this world's goods, they're temporal things. We use them in good stewardship as God has entrusted to us until that time when he comes and gives us the paradise that Jesus has already won for you and I, already putting us in, our king, in his kingdom so we know we are forgiven and we are saved. Amen. Now grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forevermore. Amen.